Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. do you know? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. One down, twelve field, and we'll see them. What you doing down here? You're showing me, man. <laughs> this is the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Owen, Ken, and Murphy here. Hey guys, Hello there, Hello introduce there, yourselves to our listeners. The World Cup is, you know this idea of it as a shop window, it's a phrase mm-hmm. you hear quite a lot when it's on. That usually means for players, but apparently it can be a shop window for pundits <laughs> as well. In this case, Phil Neville, who the BBC decided to put in the shop window during the, uh, during the summer. The customers didn't really like what they saw, largely abused Phil Neville online, mm-hmm. but the Beeb themselves decided to make the purchase anyway, and Neville has now been announced as part of their Match of the Day panel this week. Again, much to the chagrin of many people on Twitter saying this is <laughs> pretty awful stuff. Yeah, um, well, obviously the BBC are uh, trusting their instincts on Phil Neville. And the BBC have been around a long time, Ken. Fine institution. Yeah, I mean, I suppose they're, it's not as though they're really exposed to market forces. <laughs> They've <laughs> managed they... to survive in a brutal government-subsidised <laughs> market. Ah, the Phil Neville thing doesn't work out. <laughs> um, yeah, so their their team is what... Um, obviously, Alan Hansen is now gone. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be, what, Rio, uh, Ruth Hullett, Rio Ferdinand, Alan Shearer, Robbie Savage and Danny Murphy alongside Phil Neville. Mm. It's not... You know, it's not the most exciting bunch of people. Well, I think Rio's pretty good, but he's not going to—he's still playing, so I don't know how much of an involvement he'll have. Uh, Danny Murphy, we've talked about him during the World Cup. Danny Murphy's quite good. Yeah, I think he's good, yeah. So they might give him more and more of a role. But Neville, I thought, in, in fairness to him, was thrown in as a co-commentator on the first game, England-Italy game. Co-commentary is, first of all, a very different thing to punditry, yeah. to having a chance to be reflective and actually think about what you're seeing. It's also important that you actually get to see Phil Neville. When I saw him, I think it was the second game, second in the game against Uruguay, he was actually pretty decent. He was in studio with whoever it was at the time. I'd been Rio and somebody else. And he wasn't bad at all. He was communicated quite well. His facial expressions are, are good. The problem is that his voice is just 
monotone. I don't know if there's going to be any training done to change that around. But as a co-commentator in studio, uh, not seen on camera, just didn't work at all. And yeah. uh, I think he admitted that himself. It's kind of weird also to, um, you know, that his brother it seems really to have set the gold standard, <laughs> you know, as far as everyone is concerned. You know, he's he's the absolute um, king of, uh, of co-commentary and indeed of all forms of Fo- uh, retired footballer punditry so I don't know although I suppose they've been kind of competing with each other throughout their whole careers and Gary was the one who ended up staying at Man United so so Phil is probably used to this is, <laughs> what, is what I'm saying we're being gonna... slightly less good than his brother is a role that Phil Neville is comfortable with but we're... still if he, you know it, this is this is maybe even more better because if he wasn't Gary Neville's brother do you think he'd have been signed up by Martin today? <laughs> Do you think? Then, then I mean, this is take this it all the way back. Is, this is harsh, but I, I really don't think I'm not I'm not sure. You know, I mean, I, I think the the connection is, you know, while it, it may cause a little bit of tension between the, the Nevilles from time to time, I think it's it's worked out well for Phil. We're going to talk about the Hearts team of 1914, one of the best sides in the country at the time in Scotland. They were primed to compete with Celtic and Rangers until the entire team volunteered for the First World War. Seven of them didn't return. Others died later of war injuries and the future of the club was obviously altered quite a lot. We'll get into why that, why it was that the entire team would do that. Their manager also seemed to be big time in favour. He was drumming up support for, from the supporters for the players to go, to go and fight. Tony Barrett also will be on to talk about how many more signings Brendan Rodgers wants to make this summer. He seems to be um, quite willing to sign quite a few players. It's time now for Ken Hurdy's Report on Sport. So, um, yeah, uh, what can you say, Owen, at this time of the season, what can you say? Well, not much if you're a Celtic fan. I think the season's kind of ruined. Uh, well, there's, I mean, there's only, what, 11 months left till Rangers are back. <laughs> um, not even that many months, maybe nine months. Um, it does look as though it could be a slightly grim season at Celtic Park. I mean, one in which they'll almost definitely win the league title again. Um, but that just doesn't excite anyone anymore. I do fear a little bit for Ronnie Dale, the Norwegian manager at Celtic, um, because in a situation like this, where there's not a lot to excite the crowd, they often amuse themselves with the ancient sport of manager baiting. And poor old Ronnie Dale hasn't made a great start. I mean, it's a 6-1 aggregate defeat. I mean, I think a lot of Celtic fans were expecting to qualify for the Champions League, you know? I mean, they take the champion's path. I mean, I I remember people were tweeting us on, when we were talking about this, um, when Roy Keane was was deliberating whether to go and become the Celtic manager. And it was a case of, well, why would you go and do that job? I mean, first of all, Neil Lennon has left in apparent exasperation at the fact that it's impossible to really... You're essentially a bonsai manager mm-hmm. if you're at Celtic. I mean, you're in the the the, the pot that you're in um, and the constant pruning of your squad does not allow you to grow and develop to your fullest possible capacity. You're a small, perfectly formed, miniature manager having a miniature career in a miniature league. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and you talk to people about that and it seems as though Lennon was saying to the board, look, we need to, we're in the Champions League, we want to be in the Champions League, we need to, to have at least some kind of a team that's, that might be capable of getting something in the Champions League and saying to Peter Lowell, the chief executive, you know, we, we can't just keep selling players, you know, 
Gary Hooper was one, you know, there's various, you know, Samaras, obviously he wasn't renewed. We can't just keep doing this and expecting the really cheap players who were, who were kind of bringing in to automatically come up to that standard. It's not that easy. Um, without investment, you don't have much chance. So uh, Lennon and, and Lowell didn't agree, I guess, about, about certain things. Lennon decided to leave. Um, and Dela comes in, and he hasn't really been given any new players either. But remember when we were talking about this with Keane, it was a case of, well, why would you go and do that? Because you know, they're not, the club is not... Unless the policy changes, unless literally from the top down, they say, OK, we're, we're, we're going to change the way we do things, we're going to bring in, we're going to actually start spending some of this money. Um, the, the team can't really do anything. Yeah, and the quotes from Delia after the game were interesting. It was He was trying very hard not to have a go with the players that were there and he took the responsibility upon himself but he did seem to be almost shocked at how bad the squad is. He, he was saying, this is this is what we have. Obviously, we need more players but we also have to do the best with these players that we have. Maybe, uh, maybe he himself was suckered into the Celtic brand, Ken, and thought there was something other than what they actually are. Yeah, but you know, you, you think about it, I mean, he's coming from six years in the Norwegian League. Um, he he was probably keener to, to get out and to, to move to a to larger league, league than even Neil Lennon was, mm. you know, and uh, he gets the chance to manage this club, which has a, you know, he's looking and thinking, well, they've been in the Champions League the last few seasons. They're in the Champions path. That's what people pointed out when... Um, when we were saying, look, Celtic probably aren't going to get us to the Champions League this year. Why would Keane do that? There's no other reason to take the job if you're if you're keen. Um, but maybe Dela, you know, he's not keen. You know, I mean, you I mean went Roy to. Keane might have done something. Well, I mean, Roy Keane is a big name in world football. Mm. You know, I mean, I was in Brazil and I'm trying to buy a SIM card off this big, fat Japanese guy in Sao Paulo, and he said, "Oh, Ireland, uh, Roy Keane, Hobby Keane." So he says Roy Keane first. When I say Ireland, you know, before Robbie Keane, then Kilban, then eventually he names Bono, you know. <laughs> so I don't think any Norwegian. I don't think any Norwegian. Kevin Kilban, yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah was the third was the third player. He, I mean, he had to think for a while before he came up with the name Kilban. Did but you just Kilban say was the name he came up with. Hobby Keane. Hobby Keane. Hoy Keane. Hobby Keane. Well, this is your impression of the Portuguese? Well, they don't accent. say they don't say or in the same way we say or. Okay. Um, so. What, you thought I was doing a Japanese accent? I didn't know quite what you were going no, for, to be honest. I just wanted to clarify a little no, bit. No. Um, but I don't, I don't think any Norwegian who goes there to buy a SIM card from the same Japanese guy is going to get the guy going, oh, Norway, uh, honey data. <laughs> no one is ever going to say that. That's, that. No Norwegian think... will ever have that conversation anywhere in the world. So the guy has not got the profile. I'm not saying that he's not necessarily a good coach. He may well prove to be, but... You know, if you if you're coming from that kind of position and Celtic offer you the job, maybe it's a, a bit more attractive. I mean, for instance, if Celtic offered you the job, would you take it? No, I'd be totally out of my depth. It would be an embarrassment to me, my family. Where's your ambition? God, on. Like, would you t- would like you despair. take the job? Obviously, I would take the job of Celtic manager. If yeah. they're saying you don't have to do an interview, first of all, I they're saying we. Dermot Desmond calls you up. Yeah, he calls you on your on your cellular yep. cellular phone. Yeah, and he says. Listen, uh, I just wanted to, you know, we, we don't want to bring this public until I'm sure that you're going to take the job. Yeah. So I'm, I'm effectively tapping you up. Yeah. Will you take the job? The, the wages are 300 grand. Yeah. I'm three taking three that year job. deal. Yeah, I'm taking that job. Yeah. Iron, ironclad yeah. three year deal. Yeah. You're going well, to take you're, it. I'm taking that job. Uh, well, I've got a GA man there right beside me, Jim McGuinness, installed Jim as assistant manager. 
Basically, I, I'll be a relief presence in the training ground. I don't really take training sessions. I'm not a tracksuit manager. <laughs> See, he's you know? thinking positively, and you're immediately thinking all the things he can't, all the, thing, all the things, if you were a Celtic manager, that you wouldn't be able to do. You know, train the players, make tactical substitutions. Put up with the abuse of Celtic fans. I find it tough enough even when we say something negative on the oh, show. By the way, yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm going to obviously get the sack after four months. I so, mean, you're, so you're thinking in terms of this would be the quickest 900 grand you've ever made. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's... Yeah, that's that, that, that's just a normal human reaction, and I don't know where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a, it's a difficult situation. Every, I mean, what, I was surprised by Dennis quotes, and again, I only read the quotes. I didn't see him deliver them, and you can never be quite sure, you know, how 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 someone means something that they say, especially a guy who's not speaking in his first language. But you know, he was talking about the players making stupid mistakes after the, uh, you know, they lost four one in, in the first leg. You know, you're thinking. Do you really need to start talking yeah. about your players' mistakes? You know, I mean, uh, now he's saying things like, um, uh, "Right now, it's not good enough." You know, I've been here for six weeks, but but it's not good enough. We need to make the squad better. I wasn't embarrassed, but I am not satisfied. I feel sorry for the players. They wanted it, but we didn't perform well enough, and that's where we are. I think the the worst thing about the job that he took on six weeks ago, as he says, is that his two most important games by a mile were also his first two games. I yeah. mean, you know, you're. By the time August comes around, he, you've already played your two most important games. Gordon Strachan suffered from something similar, didn't he? Have that disaster at the start of his reign. I don't know if he ever. Art Media Bratislava. Yeah, I don't know if he ever fully recovered from that. Now, there, uh, he did in the sense that he, I thought he did very well as Celtic manager, but the fans never fully took to him. And maybe in part, they could apply. This is probably to do with his, the fact that he wasn't seen as a Celtic man or whatever, but also they could point out and say, well, look, he got us bombed out of that Champions League. Yeah, uh, no, it was it wasn't great. Uh, it wasn't great, especially the way they, they lost five 0 to a team that nobody, you know, few of their supporters had probably even heard of. Art Media Bratislava. Aidan McGeady remembered that result, didn't he? When you asked yeah, him a few years later, he did. He did. What was the question? Uh, I asked, just asked him what, what about the you know the last time he played in that stadium because Ireland were playing Slovakia. It was it wasn't too many years after that actually. It may have been in fact the following year, or the year, and he said, "Yeah, we lost five 0 and I missed. Thanks the for reminding me. Like um, he was didn't really like it, but you know um, that's uh, that's Celtic anyway. It's not not a great situation, um, but elsewhere, I mean, you know, there's there's lots of transfer speculation, English football transfer speculation, um, but nothing uh, nothing hugely exciting. I mean, it's probably the, the the most exciting rumor, although it does look also like the most implausible one, is Liverpool to try and sign Falcao on loan, uh, but given that. Falcao surely has options. I'm not quite sure. And, and given that Monaco paid 15 million for him last year, I'm not 100 percent sure why they would loan him out at this stage, particularly at this stage of his career, when you know his market value, in terms of uh, you know his, his sale value, is just going to plummet every year from this point. And you know from this point in his career, 29 year old who's had a cruciate ligament injury is not going to hold his value for very long. So if they were, if they didn't want him in their team, yeah. I'm sure they'd want him out the door for more than the mooted 10 million. There's also the fee. Daniel Agar story, which I'll talk to Tony Barrett about. Mm. Um, but apparently he got a little bit emotional in the dressing room. He wants away from Liverpool. Yeah, he wants to go and, and play first-team football somewhere. It doesn't look like he's going to do that at Liverpool anymore because they've signed Dejan Lovren now. They've already got Sacco and Skirtle. Um, so it looks like Agar's done. And I mean, the the news today, I guess it's Germany-related news. Uh, Bayern Munich were playing in America last night, played against the MLS All-Stars, who didn't have uh, the, the, the the brightest star in their soccer firmament, 
Robbie, for a moment, Robbie Keane, uh, owing to an unfortunate clash of fixtures between uh, LA Galaxy and the MLS All-Stars. But uh, Landon Donovan did play because apparently he's going to uh, retire soon. So the Galaxy said, okay, you can go and, go and play in your 14th All-Star game. And he scored the winning goal against Bayern, um, who went 1-0 up with a goal by Lewandowski. Pretty good goal. And then conceded goal to Bradley Wright Phillips and uh, and um, Donovan, as I said. They brought on the four of their World Cup players uh, with 10 minutes to go. And only a few minutes later, one of those, Bastian Schweinsteiger, was uh, being taken off injured um, after a foul, which prompted a sour display from Pep Guardiola, who refused to uh, shake hands with Caleb Porter, the uh, all-star coach, and then appeared to be going around the pitch telling his Bayern Munich players not to shake hands with the with the Americans, um, which which I thought was a little little bit much. For bit, I mean, it's those players. Uh, Paul Grooney might say it's their basic human right to mm. decide who they want to shake hands with and who they don't want to shake hands. Yeah. With. That's the Grimly way, um, as we all know. Uh, well, well, Pep. Uh, apparently, Pep afterwards he he chilled out a bit and he did. Uh, he did shake hands with um, with Caleb Porter, but behind the scenes, away from the cameras. Um, the other thing was that uh, Dortmund and Bayern are having a bit of a um, bit of a row at the moment. Um, it's unusual. This kind of thing doesn't tend to happen so much in English football, I think. But the executives of German clubs are very very vocal. They talk a lot, and they often insult each other. Um, Karl Heinz Rummenigge's did, did, did an interview recently about Marco Royce. He's like, hmm, yes, very interesting player, yeah. He's got a 25 million euro release clause, which is an absurdly low release right. clause for a player like Royce. I mean, because Lalana costs 25 million pounds. You know, if he had a 25 million euro release clause, that's that's unbelievable. Uh, a dangerous clause, says Rummenigge. Uh, to which Dortmund's CEO uh, responds, Borussia Dortmund must know with a certain annoyance that Karl Heinz Rummenigge... It's currently bad-mouthing BVB's internal affairs through the media in a three-day rhythm. We're sure that for every football fan, it's obvious what the intention is behind such statements. We assume that Karl-Heinz Rummenigge accepts that he is further damaging the already tense relationship between Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. We'll continue, as we always have, by never giving our views on contract details of our players publicly. So um, they seem to think that Bayern are going to try and get... Royce as well. So they have Royce, Götze and Lewandowski, the entire Dortmund forward line from a couple of seasons ago. That's the end of Kennedy's Report on Sport. You can see the level of expectancy. Coach, this is the game you wanted a victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Oh, Pepe's such an idiot. A game that they've been looking forward to for a long time. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. He was fucking dreaded. Sorry, yeah. we're not out of here. Oh, we're not. Are we? We are. Well, I apologise for that, but well, you see. <laughs> that was a, in an exactitude with you. All right. Yeah, you'd miss it, wouldn't you? So many great memories. I really miss it. I miss it desperately. Uh, oh, in, yeah. Given that we can't turn back time and, and go back there and just be there forever, um, I'd really like something to happen now. 
I really wise. want some football to be played. Yes. Pepe must be off losing the head with some teammate at a training session or something, isn't he? Is he, does he? I wonder, does he act like that at training? He got uh, blanked by an opponent what, during the handshakes really? at a, a friendly game just like last week. For what? You know, see this? Oh, just yeah. some, For letting down his Portugal no, during some the World long, Cup. Some long-running oh, okay. feud. Oh, so, right. I mean, don't worry. Pepe is... Pepe's keeping himself busy. Historically, the idea of professional sportsmen signing up to go to war for their country, it's hardly unheard of, but for a whole team to do it is fairly remarkable. That's what Hearts did 100 years ago. Every one of their players volunteered for the First World War. Alex Massey has written about this um, pretty incredible story and joins us now. Alex, you've described this as the club's finest and most desperate hour. Why do you think that is? Well, in the first place, because... Uh of the enormity of the situation. Um, I mean, in, in a strange way, the, the heart story uh, is a sort of tiny snapshot of the horrors um, of the First World War, uh, you know, the larger horrors. And uh, it's quite difficult to, to separate in some ways, if you like, the, the, the social aspect of it uh, from the sporting aspect. I mean, if you think of it in purely sporting terms, and this in, 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 in some ways is... That that the the Hearts team of 1914 has a good claim to have been the the finest in the club's history, and uh, the kind of team that, but for the uh, breakout of war and the subsequent cancellation of football and obviously uh, the the deaths of many of the players during the war, uh, was considered strong enough that. It uh, could have won several titles and established, if you like, a, a dynasty in uh, in Scottish football of the sort that would have been so successful. It is plausible to think that um, rather than Scottish football being uh, a duopoly dominated by Celtic and Rangers, it's it's possible to imagine an alternative future where, but for the First World War, there would have been three big teams in Scotland rather than two. And so the whole history of Scottish football, mm-hmm. in some ways, if you like, changes at the outbreak of the First World War uh, and the destruction of um, of the Great Heart side. I mean, the the, the football continued to be played. Um, uh, in August and September, and actually for most of the, the 1914-15 season, um, uh, but because all the Hearts players had had enlisted, uh, most of them in the in the Royal Scots, the local Edinburgh regiment, in the 16th Battalion of that uh, regiment, um, the the impact of their military training, while well, combining military training and playing professional football, took its toll. And uh, you know, a club that uh, the team had been. Uh, comfortably ahead by uh, at Christmas, uh, eventually was caught by by Celtic. Um, uh, you know the the Edinburgh Evening News um, was was most displeased by all of this because you know they they remarked that uh, between them the two leading Glasgow clubs that is Celtic and Rangers uh, have not sent uh, a single prominent player to the army. Uh, there is only one football champion in Scotland and its colours are maroon and khaki why was that's, that? that's the Edinburgh that's... paper but still yeah why was it do you think that Hearts that Rangers and Celtics sent nobody but all the Hearts players decided that they were going to enlist yeah I mean it's it's difficult to say uh, I mean for Celtic uh, you know one can plausibly say that you know the, the club's Irish roots meant that it was in a slightly different situation um, the the Hearts players were, were encouraged by the team's manager um, and uh, the general public actually, um, you know, the, the the public felt that there was something improper about 
professional sport continuing as um, everybody else was volunteering to to join the army. I mean, this wasn't just true in, in, in Scotland. It was true down in, in England where, um, you know, playing county cricket suddenly seemed a very frivolous and uh, a waste of time, you know, just the wrong sort of thing to be doing. Uh, but And Edinburgh in particular was uh, a, a city that embraced the war with... Um, uh, a considerable and, and from our perspective now horrific enthusiasm. I mean, it wasn't just Hearts players who enlisted. I mean, sixteen uh, of, of the first team squad did, um, but in the in the sixteenth Royal Scots, there were at least um, thirty professional footballers um, joined up, in, including some players from from Hibs and uh, clubs such as Raith Rovers and so on, as well as Hearts. Um, but but because you know so many Hearts players. Um, uh, joined up that that has become you know the club has be- become associated with that and the club has maintained the memory of that I mean there's a war memorial at Hay- just outside Haymarket Station in Edinburgh to the to the Hearts players who who fought at the Somme the Battle of Lewes and so on I mean this season uh, the 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 club strip doesn't have a sponsor and it's a throwback uh, uniform uh, that that is sort of designed to pay tribute to the 1914 side. You know that that you know it was an outstanding team of footballers. I mean it it, it, it had some of the, the the finest players in Scotland. You know it's a sort of age where obviously there isn't very much in the way of video or or um, photographic um, evidence of it. But you know this was a club that they won 19 of their first 21 league fixtures. You know they were going to win the league and um, uh, almost certainly and as I say establish a dynasty. You know the and and then you know the war intervenes and essentially ends all of that. Um, uh, as they said, some of the finest players. Um, were, were killed. A player named Harry Watty, who was who was arguably you know the best inside forward in Scotland at the time, uh, 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 died. A, uh, another player, um, Tom Gracie, uh, died in October 1915. Others, um, uh, you know, were gassed and never recovered their their health. Um, you know the the story. Uh, it, it's 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 akin to the stories of the Powell's battalions, you know, from from Portsmouth or Durham or or Lanarkshire or wherever, you know, sort of groups of friends joining up together um, and uh, and suffering appallingly as a as a as a result. And there's the, the poignancy of that sort of collective um, idealism that turns to to sacrifice and then horror is the sort of thing that you know there's there's a lot of pathos to it so you can see why it's it's a thing that is is remembered to this day i mean you talk about it in terms of idealism alex but you know i mean you can't help but notice that they did eventually have to introduce conscription because most people didn't want to go to the war to be killed uh, and even once conscription was introduced um the number of of successful appeals almost matched the number of successful um, conscriptions, you know, en- enlistments as, you know, forced enlistments. Um, people didn't want to do this, so, which is why it's quite remarkable that you see a team uh, deciding to go en masse. And you wonder who the instigators were. I'm sure most of those Hearts players didn't really fancy going to France to get shot at. So I wonder what the process was of whereby they were instigated. I mean, because uh, you can't help but notice that an entire team, I mean, as you mentioned, a, a good team, a team that would have been heroes to their local community, mainly a working class community, exactly the kind the army um, really w- wanted to target at this time. The propaganda value of them agreeing to join a bond mass would have been absolutely immense. So I wonder if 
you know, what the forces were pushing on them to go and do this. Well, I mean, there's something in that, obviously. I mean, obviously, uh, an element of peer pressure um, as well that, that uh, you know, once a couple of players had decided that they wanted to volunteer, um, uh, you know, others, others, you know, decided to join their mates, if you like. Um, I'm not sure that there, there was necessarily, uh, uh, if you like, sort of institutional pressure put on them, although the, the club manager, you know, uh, uh, was was wholly behind the players. Uh, John McCartney, um, you know, he after the players had had joined up, uh, he he uh, appealed to the club's supporters um, to to emulate their their heroes, and um, you know he, he he sent a message that said, you know, the, uh, I couldn't, you know, now then, young men, as you have followed the old club through adverse and pleasant times, through sunshine and rain, roll up in your hundreds for king and country, for right and freedom. Don't let it be said that footballers are shirkers and cowards. As the club has borne an honoured name on the football field, let it go down in history that it also won its spurs on the field of battle. Now, of course, you know, a century later, there is something, you know, one can uh, appreciate the tragedy, the pity and terror of that sort of appeal. But, uh, you know, the, the idea that um, that the players were sort of used, I think, is taking it too too strongly. I mean, you know, yes, they they were, if you like, an inspiration for other people to volunteer. If, they're, if these guys are doing it, then so should we. But, you know, there the was in the autumn of 1914, which is when we're talking about, um, a considerable enthusiasm, uh, uh, not necessarily for the realities of war or anything, but that this was the, the, the good and patriotic thing to do. Um, and although certainly that would be useful in terms of encouraging other people to, to volunteer and so on, it wasn't necessarily the sort of thing that required people to be pushed into doing themselves. Um, you know, there was an awful lot of genuine volunteerism at the time. One remarkable detail of it when you're looking back is that um, when the the guys all went to enlist. Five of them were told that they didn't meet the minimum minimum physical requirements. This is a bunch of professional footballers, or you know, guys who were playing at the top level of the Scottish game at the time. And apparently, five of them weren't didn't meet the minimum requirements for a British Army service. Yes, which is 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 quite remarkable. Um, uh, I'd imagine that's probably. Probably they were considered too short or too light, uh, one way or another, for the standards. I mean, subsequently, the, the entry standards um, as the war w- went on were were reduced. Um, but uh, you know, in the autumn of, of 1914, the army was freer to uh, reject um, people. But yes, it's a it's a remarkable um, uh, notion, and, and obviously, in some ways, you know, proof of how different football was back then. Um, uh, yeah, the the attitude towards the game. By become the time of the Second World War, seem to have changed a little bit. I mean, when you when you hear about, uh, I mean, quite a lot of footballers served in the war. Many of them, many of them were, you know, frontline players. You know, you can read the names of these guys who died. I think it was seven hundred odd footballers from the English league ended up joining up uh, in the Second World War. But the attitude did seem to have changed. I mean, you, you know, you hear about the top players like Tom Finney, Stanley Matthews, seem to spend rather a lot of the time. Playing football, <laughs> a long way behind the front lines, touring around the country, playing in these games. So, so the authorities seem to have uh, a rather different attitude. Maybe they, you know, they thought at the time that uh, it might be good for for people to get the chance to see Tom Finney and Stanley Matthews playing these it, games. Exactly. Play. I mean, I think I think that's right. You know, that uh, the Second World War, which is a very different type of conflict, of course. Um, 
by that stage, the you know people still needed to have something to do. They still needed entertainment. You know the um, and if uh, football and cricket in particular, if those um, you know that these could be. Uh, releases from the the stresses, the privations, or the the, the grinding uh, hardship and misery of of wartime life. You know that yes, as you say, sort of exhibition matches, essentially involving the likes of Stanley Matthews or Tom Finney. You know would provide momentary you know escapism for for people, and, and that that would be valuable um, in and of itself. Um, there wasn't anyone know, coming up and sort of painting a white feather to Stanley Matthews. Jacket. Yeah, I mean, I think that would that would be a bit harsh, <laughs> but you know, the it's the sort of thing that that in a in a wartime environment, a wartime economy, and so on, there are many different ways for people to for people to contribute. Um, and although you know, we think of armies as being made up entirely of frontline troops, that isn't and has never been the case you know the at any one time the percentage of um of uh, an army's manpower that is actually deployed on active maneuvers and so on is very small the the long tail you know they are the tip of the spear but there is a huge number of support staff uh, behind them you know from you know drivers um chefs laundry men so on etc etc you know um you know and all, most people who saw action in the second world war um, and indeed in the First World War, never fired a gun. Um, uh, that's not to disparage um, their, their their service or anything and so on. It's just um, uh, a recognition that there are many different types of soldiering. Alex, just uh, lastly, how has the that team and uh, what befell them been commemorated by hearts over the years? Uh, every year there is a uh, service at the War Memorial just outside Haymarket Station, which is just about half a mile from Hearts Ground at Tynecastle. Um, there's a service there on Remembrance Sunday every year. Uh, a few years ago, uh, uh, the club assisted with the, the efforts of a, of a group of um, uh, Hearts supporters to construct, to fund and, and build a memorial in northern France, a place called Canton Maison, um, which is uh, one of the places where the 16th Royal Scots uh, were, saw action uh, during the war. Um, and there's a memorial there to, to uh, the whole battalion, but it makes specific reference to, to the Hearts players who, who were involved. Um, so it, it's something that, um, you know, the club takes seriously and uh, and perhaps like many first world war commemorations is something that has been treated with more reverence and seriousness in recent years than was perhaps the case um 40 or 50 years ago okay alex massey really amazing story thanks so much for talking to us oh thank you alex says the players again weren't used but you seem a bit uneasy just about the, the pressures that might be behind decisions like that yeah, I mean, I find it very difficult to... I, I think it's it's very unfortunate to see volunteering uh, to fight in that as a, as a kind of a heroic thing to have done. I mean, you feel sorry for the people who were pressured into doing it. I don't believe that they wanted to do it, um, but it, they were essentially emotionally blackmailed into doing it. Um, you know, I don't think that they were fighting for a, for a proud cause or anything like that. Well, some of them may have. You can't necessarily. We don't know. This, these are men a hundred years ago. We don't know. Some of them. Some of them may have felt that this was the thing that they wanted all to do. All the players. No, all the players. Highly unlikely. Very unlikely. You're saying a hundred percent of this cross section of society wanted to fight the war. I don't know if that. 
yeah. was true of anywhere. I mean, I don't know. The, the whole m- m- memorialising of it has been very... Uh, oh, obviously, as, as Alex referred to there, has has grown more... Uh, has become almost an, an industry in recent years. And we see it every year when the... You know, in November when the, it's the poppy season, it becomes this big uh, story and there's this sort of um, policing of people to make sure that they're paying enough respect. And you kind of lose sight of what that whole... Uh, war was about. I mean, the the you know the the, the idea of, of the British Empire in some way standing for freedom um, is just ludicrous. Uh, I, I think the line that I think of is is Matt Taibbi. Do you know Matt Taibbi? The, he used to write for Rolling Stone. He wrote a great piece for Rolling Stone about Goldman Sachs a few years ago. Right. Uh, his line was. Um, the first thing you need to know about Goldman Sachs is that it's everywhere. The world's most powerful investment bank is a great vampire squid wrapped around the face of humanity, relentlessly jamming its blood funnel into anything that smells like money. That's the British Empire in 1914. So that's what these guys were that's what these guys were all fighting for. I mean, you know, you see these, I don't know, I could go, really go off on one now about this John Redmond stuff. I don't know if you saw the, the John Bruton thing the other day. What did John Bruton yep. say? John Bruton was saying, uh, essentially, we should uh, forget forget about the rising and all. You know, because obviously, there's going to be our we're going to have our own little uh, reckoning with history in a couple of years' time when the hundredth anniversary of the rising happens. But that we shouldn't commemorate that. You know, that we should. Uh, he was talking about John Redmond being here. You know, John Redmond was the guy who's going around Ireland urging oh, yeah. urging get up, get Irishmen to get over there. You know, and it's completely uh, pointless. Slaughter. Well, didn't Redmond... Yeah, I know. I mean, it, I, it totally was a point of slaughter. W- wasn't his reasoning that if we're good to the British Empire, they'll be good to us mm. and give us our home well, rule? Home rule, home rule <laughs> was already on the statute books. Uh, and Britain is correct when he says that. But yeah. whether they were, had any intention of actually passing that yeah. uh, statute is another, another thing. Altogether. Generously, you could describe John Redmond as a dreamer among <laughs> politicians. All right, right, we've got a show out there already for you, um, already ready for you, I should say, just as soon as you finish this one. Don't even delay, just go straight on to the one that Murph Mm. is going to describe here. Murph, well, I'll describe for you, but we talk about the reasons why Kilkenny are going out of the hurling championship this Sunday. That's what you think. Limerick to win. Limerick to win. Kildare's Emma Bolton on Monaghan's chances against Dublin. And Lynn Cantwell at the Women's Rugby World Cup, who was still in the high after beating New Zealand. Yeah, and I think... um, uh, it was one of those sporting occasions that, very similar to Ireland beating England in the Cricket World Cup all those years ago, when uh, maybe people weren't aware that the game was on, but as it was happening, there was a growing realisation amongst people that, uh, my goodness, something pretty amazing is, is on the verge of happening here. And by the time the game finished, there was something like a quarter of a million people watching on TG Car, and uh, Twitter went absolutely insane. Yeah, uh, And just uh, an extraordinary occasion. But of course, they actually still have a tournament uh, still to win. And you'd be interested to hear what Lynn thinks are chances of winning the World Cup. Oh, and we'll have this as well. Ken Early's World Cup Crystal Ball. Yes, Ken Early's World Cup, Women's Rugby World Cup Crystal Ball was in that other show, so do make sure to have a listen. Liverpool have had a hell of a transfer window, but is there such a thing as buying too many players? Well, yes, if they're not good enough, I'd say would be the answer Spurs fans would give you after last summer. Tony Barrett of the Times joins us. Tony, first of all, just this story about Daniel Agar. He's reported to have broken down in the dressing room after asking to leave for first-team football. Um, Why would Agar be out of favour? He seems to be uh, very much a... A Brendan Rodgers kind of player, but but well, you would think that that would be the case, but he doesn't seem to be. He, he, well, 
in many ways he is a Brendan Rodgers player, but I, th- I think if you spoke to Brendan about him, particularly after the, the Swansea City game at Anfield last year when Liverpool won 4-3, I, I think then there was a bit of frustration came to the boil and Brendan talked about the, the need to defend first. And I, I think that's, uh, for all the talk about Brendan Rodgers' philosophy, if he's going to set up an attacking team, which is what he wants to do, and he wants players who are going to be able to flood forward and score goals, then he needs players who are going to be able to defend with their lives at the back. He doesn't feel at the moment that, that Danny Lager offers him that, whether that's fair or not, kind of relevant, because that's the way the manager sees it. And, and that does leave Danny Lager in that situation where if Liverpool got an offer from him, he would be sold. Uh, as things stand, I know there's ongoing speculation about Barcelona, but there's no... Agas people aren't in talks with Barcelona. Liverpool haven't received an offer from Barcelona. So I think suggestions that, that Agas asked to leave, be allowed to leave to join Barcelona, that, that they don't stack up to me just simply because that interest, if it does exist, hasn't manifested itself yet. I mean, there was talk of Arsenal as well, um, who maybe are looking at moving from Ireland on to Manchester United. I mean, it would seem a little bit strange if Agger wasn't good enough to play for Liverpool, that he would be good enough to play for Arsenal. I know Stephen Gerrard said something about Suarez and Arsenal recently, which maybe applies to this, but you know, surely a defender who's good enough to play for Arsenal is good enough to play for Liverpool? No, possibly, but I suppose in different systems you need different sense. And, and as I say, the way Rodgers wants to play, he's, he's brought in Manquillo and they're hoping to bring in Moreno. And they're both attacking full-back. So, so when it, you get to that stage where absolutely every player on the pitch is attacking except your two centre-backs and your goalkeeper, I suppose you do need out-and-out centre-halves at that point. And Liverpool may be in that situation where they want stoppers. They, they want a Lovren and they want a Saka or they want a Lovren and they, they want a Scale. And it, it's difficult then to see Daniel Aga fitting in as the player. His greatest sense is to step out and join in with the play in midfield. So you just wonder whether that then works, especially when you've got Steven Gerrard in this role where he plays a lot deeper. So you've then got Gerrard who takes on what will be the traditional role of the centre-back with the ball playing centre-back. He just plays deeper and plays that role there. So it can just be that, but it, it can also just be the fact that maybe Daniel Agger saw in, in similar way to Pepe Reina. Maybe he's just been at Liverpool and his time's up. He's been there a long time and it may well be the right time for, it, for a new test to him and there might be clubs that suit him better. But the similar thing with Arsenal is there's yet to be any... any Deal interest from them. Liverpool haven't fielded any offers for Aga yet, so it's it's a difficult one at the moment. I'm I'm an Aga fan. I think he's a good footballer. I, th- I think he's a proper defender. I think he's what you would class as a as a traditional Liverpool defender, the kind of player that they've had since Phil Thompson, Alan Hansen, Mark Lawrence. And you go right through defenders who are comfortable on the ball, but it may well just be that Liverpool go in a different direction now. Liverpool Tony have spent eighty eight million this summer. They got seventy five million for Luis Suarez and the Champions League money and more T V money coming in. So I mean, conceivably they could probably afford to, to spend a little bit more. When is this spree going to end? Well Brendan Rogers certainly said that he made that point to us we were out in America with Liverpool last week and and I asked Brendan the question about Liverpool spending and whether he had any money left or whether he was just spending Suarez money and he actually said no that the the money for uh, Suarez was separate uh, that li- the players that Liverpool be brought in up to that point had been brought in because they were targeted anyway and they were going to be coming to this come in this summer regardless of who, who went out so you think that Liverpool have a significant budget but I mean obviously since since that time they've signed Manquillo only on loan but obviously wages are part of that uh, they're hoping to complete the deal for Moreno, who's going to be £60 million for a left-back. And then on top of that, they want a top-class forward. So you, you think that quite a lot of the money will will be spent, but it's uh, 
it's fine in a forward, it's fine the forward at Liverpool who will who's available. It's it's not a good market. It, it's a great market this summer if you want a goalkeeper. It's not a great market if you want a goal scorer. And do they not want a goalkeeper given that they've let Rainey go to Bayern Munich and, and now Brad Jones is the uh, is the only backup to Mignolet? I think they should do. I, I think Liverpool should be looking for a number one goalkeeper. I, I think Liverpool should be looking for someone. That I, you really you think that you, you think Mignolet is, has not done enough to, to be number one? I don't think he's a bad goalkeeper. I, and I think that that's that, that's the problem. Is it always comes down to be whether he's good, bad, or indifferent? I think in terms of style, he doesn't suit what Liverpool want to play. Uh, Liverpool want to play with a high defense, defensive line. Mignolet is ostensibly a, a goal line goalkeeper. He is not someone who he doesn't command his area to any great extent. He, do, he certainly doesn't come outside his, his area. If, if you look at the way Bayern Munich play, if you look at the way Jeremy played in the World Cup, now Neuer's an exception. I'll give you that. But they signed Pepe Reina because Pepe Reina plays a similar style to to Neuer. Not as well. I think everyone would concede that Neuer's, Neuer's head and shoulders above every goalkeeper. But Lippu want to play a high defensive line and don't have a goalkeeper who fits in with that kind of strategy. So they, they've got two choices. They either, they either continue with Mignolet in the hope that he suddenly becomes a keeper that he hasn't been throughout his career or they look to sign one who maybe can fit in the strategy sooner. Now, that seems very unfair on Mignolet. One year in, he hasn't done a lot wrong. But Liverpool are in that position now. They are ahead of schedule. They are in the Champions League probably two years before they thought they were going to be. It was a four-year plan to get there. And they're in there with a goalkeeper who doesn't play the way they want to. So there's a, there's a big decision to be made there. And I just wonder whether they now, haven't, now that Reina's moved on... Uh, if you look at the two goalkeepers they've got, whether Liverpool think this is the time that they could actually attract, as I say, there's a great mark for goalkeepers, if this is the time they can attract an even better one than the one they've got. There is, a, I mean, a big decision, surely, though, to be made at the other end of the field as well, because Suarez was clearly the best player. He's now gone. I mean, he was a player who only ever seemed to miss games because he was suspended. Um, very, very rarely injured, really consistent. They've lost that now. I mean, Sturridge is injured. Um, Fabio Barini. I'm not sure what the status is on him, Tony, but I imagine they're quite keen on on <laughs> on moving him to Sunderland. He's not quite sure he wants to go. But the only other striker in the team is is really Ricky Lambert. Uh, I mean, I saw a bit of Liverpool's game against uh, Manchester United uh, the other day, and the, the the kind of class players in the team were were Sterling and Coutinho. Um, they've spent money on players like Lalana and Markovic, who play in, in the same sort of positions as Sterling and Coutinho. They really looking at this, it looks as though they, they need a centre-forward and probably quite an expensive one. No, I, I agree, and, and Brendan Rodgers actually said that it's crucial that Liverpool sign a forward. So he's putting a bit of pressure on, on, the, on the club? Yeah, possibly. I don't know whether it's that. I don't know whether Brendan was going down that path or he's just admitting, yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's obvious Liverpool absolutely need a centre-forward. It's, it's, Ricky Lambert's role is clear. He's going to be the alternative. He's going to be the option. He's going to be what they didn't have when they were beaten 2-0 home by Chelsea and put a succession of crosses into the box and there was no one there to do anything with them. He's going to be that little bit of difference. Uh, he will probably play League Cup games. He will be an option off the bench in Champions League games and, and he will play Premier League games when injuries and players off form, but he is the option. That's absolute. Sturridge, fitness-wise, he, he can't be relied upon, as you said, in the same way that Suarez could. So Liverpool are well aware that they need a, a top-class centre-forward, but the difficulty is... As I said earlier, the market is is really poor for centre forwards. If Fabio Berini's going for fourteen million, 
potentially, and, and Romelu Lukaku has gone for 28. That's because that, that's basic supply and demand. There is not a great supply of quality centre forwards. Everyone, if, if there is a good centre forward about this summer, is going to have to pay over the odds for them. So in a market like that, Liverpool are going to find it difficult between now and the end of the window to get the kind of player in that they need to. But there's still, there's still three or four weeks, and they, they are still hopeful that they'll be able to do that. All right, Tony, thanks a lot for talking to us. Cheers, good to speak to you. Shane, Shane, Shane with the kick out. The 42-year-old goalkeeper. Turn it out from goal. Here he comes. He tucked it. He fought it. He's 50-yard out from goal. What a day for us coming. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real nigga hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Bam. 1944 is the last time a senior tiger come out of here. And the one, 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 one with the last one. Bam. What a day for us coming. Leave a pretty girl sad reputation. Start a fight club, Brad reputation. I asked the question. Does anybody deserve to lose a dollar in club final? Give me a tech 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 if you know the answer. It'll be heartbreak on either side. Imagine being eight up. Imagine it comes from eight down. Jane Curran has been lifted by an umpire. The sub goalie. Two castle barmen and a British man. I can't see Curran continuing. It could be his last race out of all. I don't think people have to worry about the, any sort of prohibitive costs kind of buying uh, another striker if Brendan Rodgers is to be believed as Tony outlines it there the money that they got for Suarez they haven't even touched yet mm. all this other this other 88 million or whatever I, I said it was it was all ready to go anyway I'm not sure if the yeah, FSG boys are, are sure I, about When Brendan Rodgers said separate I mean what does he mean separate you know they, they, were, they were going to spend 88 million pounds is that what he's suggesting that sounds seems to be well if so it's a it's a New age of ambition, Liverpool uh, Football Club. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, it seems to me that so they they've got a couple of holes there. Despite having spent all that money, despite having bought so many players, I'm not sure that they've solved the big problems. Well, okay, one of the big one of the big problems they had, I thought, was the was the central defense. I mean, the defense in general, 50 goals, as Tony mentioned, and they have at least addressed that. I mean, they've bought three defenders, at least two of whom, judging by the price tags. And the left back, who hasn't actually signed yet, Moreno and uh, and Lovren, who has signed, you would imagine they've got to be first team, or they're looking at them as first team players, if they're going to spend thirty six million on on two players. Um, but you know, the goalkeeping situation is an issue. Definitely, they need at least a backup goalkeeper, uh, and maybe somebody's saying that uh, maybe even a, a new number one. But the, the striker's the big problem. Murph, give the world its Pepe fix. You've dedicated. Just couldn't. Get the words from my br- the darkest recesses of my brain to my mouth. But yes, Seduceta, Roma were playing Real Madrid uh, in a friendly there last week, and uh, for some reason, Keta just refused to shake his hand. Some long, long running beef, um, similar to those scenes in mobster movies when uh, there is a guy lying dead on the floor, and the cop asks, "Did he have any enemies?" He's like, "Well." I think this is the kind of guy who had a couple of enemies. So I don't really know what atro- what the, previous Pepe atrocity this dates back to. Pepe, um, or Keita said that Pepe called him a monkey three years ago. Ah, wow. You can listen to our first show and all our shows on irishtimes.com forward slash second captains. You can also check it out on, or check them out on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on the Podcast Republic app if you're on Android. In the meantime, thanks for listening to this one. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks for Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. What's going on? Is that? That's the second time it's gone off.
never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. <laughs>